This is episode seven of season two, uh, which I'm reading from two Joseph stories. One of the positive results from what happened that Saturday morning was that some of the people in that congregation began to come up to our congregation in Northwest Houston. And it was in these services that they began to see demonstrations of the living God's presence. It wasn't long before one of these couples called me, told me that they were they and four other couples were interested to know more about the Spirit's doings. So he asked me if I could come to their house one Friday evening and talk with them and the other four couples about the Holy Spirit. Sitting outside on the back porch, all these people were hungry for more of Jesus, asking good questions and leaning into my responses. After some time of questions and answers, it seemed Jesus said what he had said before. Show them, don't just tell them. So I asked if anyone wanted me to lay hands on them and to pray for them. They all did. And the Spirit encountered all of them. It was definitely a good time. The next week, the same couple called me and invited me to come down yet again. And yet again, the Spirit encountered these couples. The next week, the same invitation and the same results. When I was leaving this third time, this original couple told me that there were several others who wanted more of Jesus and asked me if I was willing to come the following Friday evening, but to someone else's house. So I came again to the new couple's house where there were several more people. And once again, the Spirit did his thing. Afterwards, they wanted me to come yet again, and then again, and then again. Each time the Spirit of Jesus meeting with us in wonderful ways. This meeting came to be known affectionately called the Friday Night Group, FNG. For about a year, every Friday night, the Spirit would meet with us and stir us with more and more love for Jesus. In all the years I was involved in full-time ministry, this time was truly the most enjoyable to me. Just to have the incredible privilege of participating with Jesus even a little and seeing him so wonderfully set people ablaze with a lovesickness for himself was awesome. And as an example of how I knew the heaviness thing I really felt was not due to something in me, but rather was coming from outside of me, was that the things which made this time of ministry so wonderful was that nothing of the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor and their unhealthiness was present. I was free to be who Jesus had made me to be, as well as free to do what he called me to do. The FNG met on Friday evening. Friday was my scheduled day off from my responsibilities as one of the pastors in my home congregation. So I was not spending time with these people at the expense of any of my duties as a pastor, although it would not have been long for me to do so, for as a team, we knew the Lord would send us to other groups. So as noise of what Jesus was doing in the FNG began to spread throughout this overly churched community south of Houston, we began to have visitors. And some of those of these visitors were pastors of other congregations. And in every case, with each visitor, Jesus would do something to draw them to himself. Additionally, it wasn't long before there were some questions floating around 
about whether the FNG was going to become another congregation in this small community. In fact, this question was even being asked of me by the three pastors in that area with whom I began to meet and to pray every Friday afternoon. To everyone who asked, including these pastors, I did not mince my words. I told them plainly that I had no desire, much less any plans, to see the FNG become yet another congregation in a community with already more congregations than it needed. And I had at least three reasons for this. First, as I just indicated, the last thing this small community needed was yet another congregation. There were already plenty of issues with the churches that were there, especially all sorts of member hopping and congregation splitting. What the church in that community needed was the presence of the living God, not another congregation. Secondly, my sense in what had been happening as I sought Jesus every week about what he was, what he was doing there was that his desire for the FNG was to spread fiery sparks to whosoever was hungry and thirsty with any congregation from which he drew people to visit this group. It seemed that his goal was a healthier bride, not just another place having church services. Thirdly, I am not a senior pastor kind of person. Years before, Jesus made this absolutely clear to me. And yet, in all of this, I knew I could be wrong. So at the beginning of February 1995, I decided to get the five original couples together to pray about this. We met on the first Friday in February, about an hour before the FNG. I told them that I'd been having some questions about whether the FNG was going to become a church. I did not tell them what I felt about this, much less what I thought Jesus was saying to me about it. Then I asked them to pray individually for the next four weeks for a yes or no about whether the FNG should become a church. And in praying, I asked them not to discuss anything with anyone, not even their spouse. My reason for this was that I wanted 10 individual votes, not five couple votes. And so they all committed to do this. The first Friday evening of March, we gathered again about an hour before the FNG. I went person by person, asking them what they felt like Jesus wanted concerning the FNG. Every single person, except one, said that the FNG was not to become another church in that area. Even more, every, every person, except one, believed that Jesus' purpose for the FNG was simply to minister to whosoever was thirsty and hungry. Several of these people even expressed the first two issues I just listed above. Jesus had spoken clearly. A little before this seeking of what Jesus wanted for the FNG, one day, one of our secretaries told me there was a pastor from this small community on the phone who wanted to talk with me. I thought it was one of the three pastors I was praying with on Friday afternoons, but it was someone else I didn't know. This new pastor introduced himself and told me he was the pastor of probably the oldest Baptist church in that community. He then asked me if I was planning to come down early on Friday. When I told him that I was, he asked me to come see him. When I asked him his purpose, he told me he preferred to tell me in person. This made me a little uncomfortable, for I wondered if he was going to engage me in some sort of conversation about my supposed, quote, stealing of people from, quote, his church. 
So I, I, I again asked him what the purpose of the meeting was, and he again deflected, saying that he would tell me when I got there. I didn't like his avoidance, but I went ahead and scheduled a time to come to his office. When I arrived, his secretary, who seemed to be dressed to meet some important dignitary, I think she was even wearing a pearl necklace, greeted me. I told her who I was and that I had an appointment to meet the pastor, and I had I used his first name, not his title. She got up from her desk, knocked on an office door, and I heard a voice say, Yes? She opened the door and said, Pastor, uh, a Gary Kuntz is here to see you. <laughs> I then heard the voice say, Yes, yes, send him in. She said, The pastor will see you now. Formality made me uncomfortable. When I entered his office, his pastor was coming from around his Brobdenagian desk. In addressing his secretary, he said, Thank you, Mrs. So-and-so, that will be all. And he shut the door to his office behind her. I saw that there were two chairs in front of his Brobdenagian desk. I like saying that word. And started to make my way toward one of them. This pastor stopped me, asking, Uh, can we talk in here? And he pointed at a door labeled, Pastor's Study thought this was weird, but said okay. He opened the door and we stepped into a much smaller room with several bookcases, a personal desk, and one small desk chair. The pastor then shut this door. I wondered where he intended for me to sit when he said again, uh, can we talk in here? And he pointed to yet another door. Before I could answer, he opened the door, reached in, and pulled the string hanging from a little light fixture in the ceiling. It was his closet. I saw his baptismal roll hanging there in a folding metal chair. I said a little disturbed, wondering if this guy was going to molest me. Why? He said, I know this is unusual, but you'll see. So we both stepped into this closet with him closing this door once we were inside. So he had shut the door to his office and the door to his study, and now this closet door. He unfolded the metal chair, sat down, and whispered, yes, whispered, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Would you lay hands on me that I might? I almost burst out laughing, but I contained myself and just smiled. For now I understood. He's a Baptist. Baptists have the theology of the Holy Spirit. They just don't want to engage with him. It's too messy, too weird. So I answered this pastor, sure. And I put my hands on him and said, come Holy Spirit. In a moment, he trembled a little and then began to speak in tongues. It was a good thing. After a few minutes, he looked up at me and thanked me. I said, was that all you wanted? That was it. He said, smiling a big smile. When we came out of the closet, literally, LOL, and then his study, he walked me to the door of his office, opened the door for me, and thanked me again. I said, no problem, anytime, and I left. I wanted to say something formal to the formal secretary, but I couldn't think of anything. The reason I've included this event is this. Because of what the Spirit did that day with this pastor, the Spirit began to manifest himself through him, resulting in the congregation he was pastoring to come alive with the presence of Jesus. And the reason I'm telling you this is because of what I'm about to tell you. The senior pastor claimed God told me about the FNG and me. 
What happened to this pastor and the congregation he served proves that what the senior pastor claimed God told him was utterly wrong, and what the Spirit told the nine people and me about the FNG was correct. The purpose of the FNG was not to become yet another congregation in that community. The FNG's purpose was to pass on a spark to one of the existing congregations that it might be set on fire with the presence of Jesus, which is exactly what happened with this pastor and the congregation he served. A couple of years ago, as of this writing, the senior pastor was asked to be the interim preacher at the, in that congregation. He knows nothing about the account I just described above, how this pastor received the Spirit and was changed. So he was preaching in the very place that proves he did not hear the Lord about the FNG and me. For after the senior pastor destroyed the FNG by trying to make it into a new congregation, instead of letting Jesus use it for what he wanted to do, most of the people who attended the FNG heard about this pastor and began attending the congregation he was serving. How ironic. While this second meeting with the five original couples was taking place the first Friday night of March, the senior pastor was on one of his monk trips at a monastery in Tucson, Arizona. He returned from his week-long retreat in time for a Tuesday morning talking with a little prayer time. The senior associate pastor was just so excited the senior pastor was back, asking him, well, did the Lord speak to you? Did he? Well, did he? And this man would get into his worship mode for the senior pastor. I usually tuned it out, trying to ignore this ugly way they related. As the senior associate pastor pressed the senior pastor for an answer as to what the Lord had said to him on this trip, the senior pastor said, as a matter of fact, he did. He did. The senior associate uh, lapdog said, well, tell us, tell us, tell us, what did the Lord tell you? As I write this, I can't help but wonder if the two of them purposely staged this, but it did seem premeditated in the way the senior associate pastor set the senior pastor up to make his Moses-like mountaintop declaration. The senior pastor finally spoke, saying, God told me two things, and they both pertain to Gary. Hearing my name brought me out of my attempt to ignore these two men's silliness. Me? I suddenly questioned. The senior pastor continued in his best Old Testament prophet impersonation. First, God told me that although Gary didn't intend to do this, he planted a church. And secondly, we're to send him there to be the senior pastor of it. What? This was news to me. Jesus hadn't said any such thing to me. I mean, nothing even close to it. Very early on, as the Spirit began to manifest himself in things like healings and deliverances, as well as the prophetic gifts, he also began to teach us about these things. Not for our own knowledge alone, but also to teach and train others who were interested. And so we developed a day-long seminar, which we held three times a year, called Ministry Team Training. While it began with just one session, the more we learned resulted in there being three sessions, Foundations, Ministry Team Training Part 1, and Ministry Team, Ministry Team Training Part 2. As the name indicates, one of the things the Spirit taught us 
was to do power ministry in teams of two or a few more to avoid the superstar syndrome. In other words, when the Spirit would do something powerful to help a person through a, through a small team of people, all of whom are participating, no one individual can claim credit, thus protecting us from pride and arrogance. One of the other elements of, of the ministry team training was how we are to handle something we think that maybe the Spirit might have said or shown us about a person or situation. In other words, we're never to claim that, quote, God showed us or God told us or anything near such language. Instead, we're to say, I think the Lord, or it seems like the Lord, said or revealed something. The reason for this is that no one is like an Old Testament prophet who's experiencing the very words of the living God. The foundation of the new covenant is the Spirit, and the Spirit does communicate with those who have received him, but not like he communicated with the Old Testament prophets. In short, prophetic gifts in the New Testament don't have the accuracy they had in the Old Testament. This doesn't mean that the prophetic isn't important, for Paul says it is very important. 1 Corinthians 13, 9, 14, 1, 14, 24 through 25, and 14, 39a. However, to operate in these gifts, one must be careful. We can share what we think the Spirit may have said, but again, always carefully, gently, and humbly. We are never, ever to share something related to a direction for a person's life. We're never to say something like, God told me you're to move to Zimbabwe. We can say, does the country of Zimbabwe mean anything to you? If the person says that, as a matter of fact, they've been thinking about Zimbabwe for a while, then this is simply confirmation. What that person decides to do is between them and Jesus. And if the person says Zimbabwe means nothing to them, then that's the end of it. We are never to try to force a person to agree with something we think the Spirit may have said to us. Never. No exceptions. So to be clear, the senior pastor did not have a private conversation with me in which he gently shared what he thought the Lord may have said to him, laying it out in a way that did not put any pressure on me to agree with it. Instead, he chose to share what he did in front of the other pastors and a few other men who had come to join us in our pastor's prayer time, which was highly manipulative of him. What was I supposed to say? That the senior pastor doesn't hear from the Lord very well? Maybe even not at all? And to say this in front of these others? And what about the priesthood of the believer, in which I can hear directly from Jesus for myself? Jeremiah 31, 34. Had the senior pastor been promoted to the fourth member of the Trinity? This was profoundly heavy-handed, and I did not appreciate it. And yet the subtle, unspoken pressure to be a, quote, good team member and to, quote, submit to authority was powerfully controlling. After all, we all saw what happened when the music pastor disagreed with the senior pastor. But again, and most importantly, what right does this man have to tell me how to live my life and my calling? to essentially play God in my life. Further, after this God declaration, the senior pastor did not suggest I pray about this and discuss it with my wife, who would not 
be happy about this at all when I told her what the senior pastor claimed God told him. Neither did he assure me that there was no pressure, that after all, he is just a man and thus he could be wrong, and that if I decided this was not for me, that that would be okay. Instead, he claimed that I tended to operate in fear, evidence that although he thought he knew me, he did not know me, and thus the Lord would told him to force me to enter into this calling he claimed God told him. The way the senior pastor did this was so neatly and so super spiritually closed all the doors to me to say anything contrary to what he had declared. This was not an option, a suggestion, possibility, or proposal, or even just an idea to be considered. It was a command to be obeyed with no discussion. But the truth is, when something is from Jesus, especially something so life-directional, he does not force a person's will. He works gently and respectfully to bring confirmations and encouragements to the person to follow him in the new direction. It is my understanding that long before Jesus has someone else speak about a new direction for a person, much less an entire family, he has already been telling the person or the head of the family about it so that when someone points it to it, their words are more of a confirmation as opposed to a command, more encouraging instead of a shock and a surprise. As a result of how the senior pastor did what he did, I had no opportunity to tell him what I believe Jesus had been saying to me directly about the FNG, as well as the clear confirmation by nine of the original ten people. The senior pastor had no idea of what I had asked these couples to do and the results. So he was essentially operating in presumption, not in the Holy Spirit. And as some sort of checkmate, the senior pastor claimed that the Lord had told him that I had missed the Lord in his original call to me to be a senior pastor, and I was not obeying him in this. In other words, to deny what the senior pastor was saying was to disobey Jesus. And with such a conclusion, conclusion, plus the fact that the godly senior pastor had been on this retreat to hear from the Lord, plus some other overt as well as implied pressures, this was a powerfully spiritualized manipulation. And this was done on top of all the already existing and unresolved unhealthy things he had done to me and to my wife. In short, what the senior pastor declared was to be taken as the word of the Lord for my life and for my wife and for our children, and there was to be no disagreement with his authority. The manipulation and control of what the senior pastor did was thick in the air, and no one dared to contradict him. How should have the senior pastor shared what he thought the Lord may have said to him about me? Simply this. When the senior associate pastor began to do his panting lapdog thing, asking what the Lord showed the senior pastor, the senior pastor should have deflected and silenced the senior associate pastor, saying something like, oh, there's a few things I think uh, he may have told me, but I'm still praying about them. So what's going on with you guys? Then maybe a few weeks later, he could have come into my office, grabbed a few snacks I had in one of my desk drawers available to, every, to anyone, sat down nonchalantly, and shared gently and with no expectations what he thought the Lord may have said to him. I then could have easily told him about the 10 people of the FNG praying about this for a month and their conclusion. 
He could have said, oh, gee, I didn't know that. No big deal. We get some and we miss some. Oh, well. And as he's leaving, he could add, hey, if the Lord says anything to you about this, let me know. We'll, of course, help you guys. What a difference such a healthy exchange would have made. So, why didn't the senior pastor handle this this way? Good question. 